0: Hey, it's Damian Barling reminding you to check out the Sacramento Kings podcast right here on the Ball Podcast Network for all of your Sacramento Kings news and notes. You can follow me on Twitter at Damian Barling and you can follow us at Ball Kings. Don't miss a single episode of the Sacramento Kings podcast right here on the Ball Podcast Network. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome on into the Hoop Bowl Chicago Bulls podcast here on the Hoop Ball Network. A reminder that this podcast and all podcasts on the Hoop Bowl Network are brought to you by Manscaped, ExpressVPN, and MyBookie. Joining me today to talk all things coaching, the draft. He is the host of the Bulls HQ podcast. You can find him on Twitter at mkhoops, all lowercase. He is joining us from Melbourne, Australia. He is by far the best basketball podcaster down under. Please welcome Mark Karanzoulis. Mark, thank you for taking the time. We're recording this. On the west coast at eight fifteen PM. What time is it in Australia right now?
1: Greg, thanks for having me, mate. It is one eighteen PM on a Friday afternoon, my time. So just just got done, finished our uh, lunch, and um, ready to talk some balls with you, mate.
0: I just finished dinner. That's such a weird feeling. <laughs> I gotta tell you, that is a very weird feeling. So. I have been looking at this coaching situation, and look, there's not a lot that you can really say about the Chicago Bulls right now. We all knew that Arturis Karnasiewicz was going to take his time, but as this bubble has gone forward, we have seen Billy Donovan get fired. We've seen Brett Brown get fired. Mike D'Antoni's not getting renewed. Has the bubble process, or at least how far we've gotten in the playoffs, given you more optimism in regards to the Bulls making the right choice at the end of the day?
1: Um, I, I, probably not. And, and look, I'll look, I'll take that back. I, I, I'm sure, you know, Karnashovis will make the right choice because he seems to be a competent uh, front office executive and I have my faith in him. You know, all the reports coming out of Denver are all been positive. So... There's no reason to think he won't make the right decision, but in terms of the bubble having an impact on that decision, uh, I'm not sure that has necessarily changed my view on it, simply because you know, even though there may be more better candidates available with uh, some of these existing incumbent coaches now being available, at the same time, that creates job opportunities for other teams that the Bulls now need to compete against as well. So whilst the coaching pool, so to speak, may have opened up a bit, maybe the Bulls have more options than what they would have thought, uh, at the same time, there's obviously more teams competing for those services of those coaches. You mentioned you know, Billy Donovan as an example, Mike D'Antoni. There's, 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 there may be a couple more names that, that pop up. Who the hell knows? But at this point, I don't think it's going to influence the Bulls coaching search too much, mainly because most of the guys that have been linked to the job have been assistants. I guess really the only notable... Uh, head coaches who had previous head coaching experience in the NBA, at least, are Billy Donovan and and Kenny Atkinson. So they're the really only two experienced guys. Obviously, Kenny didn't coach in the in the playoffs, uh, and Billy Donovan. You know, we'll 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 see if he does get the job with the Bulls. He may not be interested in the Bulls job, but I don't think the the bubble itself and and how the playoffs has shaped out will necessarily influence a Bulls coaching job.
0: Going into the off season, and I clarify the off season as. We know the Bulls aren't going to make it into the bubble. That pause during the COVID shutdown. We all were hoping that the Bulls would fire Jim Boylan. And even at times when it seemed like they weren't, I think a lot of people were anticipating who was going to be that prime candidate. And I feel like there's a lot of people that based on his relationship with Adrian Griffin at Seton Hall that Arturus Karnishevis was going to have Adrian Griffin, the Toronto Raptors' lead assistant, as his main guy to replace Jim Boylan when eventually Boylan got fired. The domestic violence allegations against Adrian Griffin have effectively taken him out of the conversation. For you, Mark, and I'll say at least for me, Adrian Griffin was the guy going into this process that I thought, this is the guy that I want all candidates considered. Was that the guy for you or did you have somebody else that you were like, if this guy's available, this is who I want to replace Jim Boylan?
1: Um, Look, I I didn't necessarily have a a guy, so to speak. And the reason for that, for me at least, and, and the way I view things is a lot of the names that were connected to the Bulls job were lead assistants, who it's it's kind of hard to understand what those assistants do and don't do within their respective ball clubs and you know what response to the, what, what what responsibilities they do or don't have you know what what influence they did have on on the head coaching decision the schemes that those teams are running it's it's hard from our vantage point to really know that stuff so for me I kind of almost viewed you know Adrian Griffin Eme Adoka from Philadelphia. Uh, where's downsell jr. from from Denver? I, I kind of viewed those guys on a somewhat even playing field so to speak because I just from my vantage point at least, I can't make that a uh, discernible decision based on what they have or haven't done in their assistant roles and how that projects into that head coaching role. So those three guys are probably my lead options, probably more so based on their relationships with the front office that the Bulls are put in place. I mean, you mentioned there, Uh, Griffin's connection to AK but at the same time obviously Mark Eversley comes from from Philadelphia he would have had first-hand experience with Ime Adoka and and obviously was coming from Denver he would have had first-hand experience with Wes Onsell Jr. so those three guys were probably in the lead for me from that standpoint now for the reasons why you noted around Griffin that most certainly takes him back um, but I guess since, since Kenny Atkinson entered the fold as well, there, he, he's probably been my lead choice at this point just purely because he is a known commodity. And based on what I sort of said before about these assistant coaches, where it is somewhat of a guesswork for us, as, as for, for, at least for me, at least from my vantage point, uh, I have more faith in what Kenny Atkinson can do. Not to say, you know, someone like Imao Doka or, or, or um, Wes Unsel Jr. or Dan Craig or whoever it may be won't necessarily have the ability to become good good quality NBA head coaches. I'm sure they will, but I, I'm not sure if I'm willing to take that risk on the Bulls at the moment, just, just given where they are in their rebuild. But that's kind of how I viewed it and, and how I'm sort of viewing the process more generally, that I'm going to trust AK on who he hires because his vantage point, his experience with these guys is obviously nothing compared to what I can sort of input into that. So I'm going to trust him and whatever decision he makes, I'm assuming it's going to be the right one.
0: We're here with Mark Karanzoulis, the host of the Bulls HQ podcast here on the Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. Mark, when I looked at what Denver had done over the past couple of years in building their team, one of the few teams really in the NBA that built their team through their own draft picks, through guys that they developed, watching them come back in that series over the Los Angeles Clippers kind of proved to me that the system and really building it from the ground up works. And that is why I feel like Wes Unsell Jr. has become maybe the top lead assistant candidate for any of these head coaching openings. Now, you look at where there are openings. Oklahoma City is a team that I think Billy Donovan walked away because they might be in teardown mode. Houston has put in too much at this point to be wanting to tear it down. So I feel like Houston is the place that a guy would go if they want to win now. To me, I feel like Wes Unsell Jr., based on what the Nuggets have done and the reputation that he has garnered, he is probably that guy that is going to be maybe the hottest name coming out of this playoff scenario. Uh, What are your thoughts on what Wes Unsell Jr. brings to the table? And do you think that he would rather go to a place like Houston where he feels like he can win now or come to a place like Chicago where he can rebuild the current core of guys? I actually should mention, Indiana is also a place that has a head coaching vacancy and is an organization that people feel like can win now. New Orleans has a head coaching vacancy. They feel like they're in a place where where they can win now, especially with Zion entering his second year. What are your thoughts on Wes Unseld Jr. and where the rest of the coaching market sees him?
1: Yeah, I, I would imagine that he's probably in the box seat for the Bulls job. I, I would imagine that he will be in you know, the final three candidates that will get a, maybe a second interview with the franchise, and we'll see if it gets to... To get to well, we'll see if it gets to Michael Reinsdorf or Jerry Reinsdorf and see if they interview him. Typically, if they if we get to that stage, that only means good things. But I I'm pretty confident that based on how the reporting is going on at the moment, how the Nuggets are sort of progressing, and just like I mentioned, the connection that Wes Unsell Jr. has to Arturus kind of show of us, it would make sense that he would be in the top three finalists for the job. So I would imagine he's a real chance to be the next Bulls head coach. I don't think he's probably an option for a team like Houston. To the point you made about Houston being in a win now mode, probably more so than the Pacers and even the Pelicans. I mean, they probably want to bring through an experienced coach who can get through to, you know, Russell Westbrook and James Harden and maybe sort of dictate or change their, their play style somewhat. I don't know if you have that much. Gravitas as a first-time coach coming outside of the organization to necessarily do that that would take a lot uh, you'd have to be some sort of coaching phenom to sort of pull that off pretty quickly particularly in that Houston situation so I don't even know if someone like Wes Unsell Jr. is someone the Rockets will be considering I think they'll be looking at more guys like you know Ty Lue or something like that someone of that caliber but yeah I, I think the Bulls I think they're in a good position to land someone like a Wes Sell Jr. let's say.
0: I think that another interesting dynamic that has come out of all of this is that Ime Udoka was somebody that I think a lot of people felt like was going to be in the Bulls' top three candidates, with Brett Brown out of the picture. And I feel like Brett Brown was a very solid developmental coach that got scapegoated in an organization that just never really decided what direction they wanted to go in after Sam Hinkie was let go and the process was effectively over. If you're Udoka, do you feel like a better opportunity is with you in Chicago working with a younger group of guys, a group that you're going to have to develop with somebody that you have familiarity with in Mark Eversley, or do you feel like if you're given that opportunity to stay in Philadelphia that you want that head coaching job? I'm not so sure that Philly is even in the top three of the best jobs available. In fact, if I'm going through the list of the available head coaching jobs, just given everything that went on there at the end of that playoff series and how that thing is somewhat blown up, I would say the Sixers are a less desirable job than I would even say – a Bulls team if it was still run by John Paxson and Gar Foreman.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because, I mean, the, the the Sixers front office maybe isn't Gar Pax levels of bad. Maybe it doesn't have that sort of reputation, but they certainly have made some questionable moves over the last couple – well, certainly last couple years, but more, more pointedly over the last sort of 12 months. So I, I take your point that from an ownership standpoint, I mean, their ownership likes to meddle. Their front office have gotten things wrong. There's meant to be front office changes coming, but they haven't necessarily come just yet. So there is a lot of instability in their off-the-floor operations, let's say. So I, I take your point, but at the same time, I guess what's running through my mind is you do have two known commodities in uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Like They are surefire, all-star type players, and and you know as a coach you can bank on them. Sure, there's, there's questions about their fit and just more generally about the fit of the entire Sixers roster, but at least in that situation, you know you're going to be working with all-star level players who have, who have hit that level already. Whereas in Chicago, yeah, it's a, re, it's a rebuilding situation. They're seemingly on the right path with their management at this point, but still the Bulls are probably a couple, a couple of years away before they're even sort of getting close to the likes of having a player like like the Sixers having Ben Simmons or even Joel Embiid I mean the Bulls just simply don't have anyone on their roster that projects to be that level of player so it depends what you want as a coach do you want that rebuilding situation where you can come in and sort of help build this team I think it's also fair to say that maybe the Bulls are maybe a year or two away from maybe having to rebuild the rebuild so to speak depending on how AK feels it goes Um, So, there is, I guess there's some more questions around the Bulls rebuild versus, say, the OKC rebuild where that will potentially be going into year one, whereas the Bulls, they're going into year four of the rebuild. So, whilst it's um, still a rebuilding situation, there's probably not a ton of pressure, the Bulls situation could really – it's almost at a fork in the road type point where – AK at some point will need to make a decision because you've got Larry Markinen's contract extension weighing over his head at at some point. Zach Levine will be due a new contract in two years' years time. So the clock is sort of ticking on Chicago. So they've really only got one, one and a half years to get this right. So I don't know. It it depends on the coach, the specific coach, what they want in in their job. I would probably say the Sixers' job is probably a little bit better at this point because... You know, like I said, you've got two known all stars. If you don't keep them around, you can probably trade one of them and just balance out the team a lot better. Whereas in Chicago, you just don't have that talent at this point. So if I'm a coach, whether it's a doker or someone else, I'll probably lean sixes at this point.
0: We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Support for the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast and the Hoopball Network is brought to you by My Bookie. Say it with me now sports are back, baby. I've been waiting for this day since March, and now that it's here, I've got only one thing on my mind My Bookie. My Bookie is a home run, slam dunk, triple overtime, game winning shot, all wrapped into one. I love it, you love it, and that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My Bookie has up to the minute odds on all your favorite teams, and with the start of the NBA playoffs, there's never been a better time to start playing. Also, there's never been a better time to start booking odds on who's going to be the next coach of the Chicago Bulls. I don't know if they have that at MyBookie, but I bet they might. With MyBookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, they pay. Feeling good about your MLB team's chances this year? If you're a Cubs or a White Sox fan, I'd certainly hope so. Be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series future bets. Nothing shows you believe in your squad, like betting on them before the season's even begun, but why stop with baseball? Smart bettors are always looking towards the future, and in this case, that means basketball, hockey. Hopefully, the Blackhawks, if you're listening to this, have survived Game Five against the Golden Knights, and football, if football even happens. My bookie is already accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL games. There's never been a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today, and MyBookie will match your deposit 100%, plus they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. Hey, I'm probably going to bet that on the White Sox when they're facing Spencer Turnbull and the Tigers, or maybe I'll bet that on the White Sox when they're facing the Pirates. I think White Sox Pirates is probably a pretty smart bet. All you got to do is enter promo code HOOPBALL, that's all caps, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie, the terms are simple. You bet, you win they pay also want to remind you that support for hoop ball is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the belt grooming they obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience that's why manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer the manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower, ooh, that's appealing. And one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming experience. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Oh, you gotta love that. Show your motor off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. And thanks to our newest sponsor, ExpressVPN. Okay, so we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But I didn't know this until recently and it's taken my TV watching game to the next level. You can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Over the weekend, I used ExpressVPN to binge Doctor Who on UK Netflix. It was so simple. I just fired up the ExpressVPN app, changed my location in the United Kingdom, refreshed Netflix, and BOOM! That's it. See, ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. Hey, I'd like sites to think I'm located at the top of a castle, but obviously that's not going to happen because I don't live in a monarchy. But anyways. You can choose almost 100 different countries you can be in. I, for one, would love to be on Madagascar. So just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Side note, I don't think ExpressVPN actually goes to Madagascar. Do you love anime? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. I use HBO now because I love Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't need ExpressVPN for that, but hey, HBO has a lot of original programming in other countries, so that's where I'll use ExpressVPN. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all of your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen wherever you are. If you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash hoopball, you can get an additional three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Welcome on back to the Hoopball Chicago Bulls podcast. We're here with Mark Karanzoulis of the Bulls HQ podcast. We're talking coaching scenarios for the Bulls. Before I move on to the draft, Mark, I do want to bring up a couple more points on where I think the Bulls could go with this. The first point is that not since Scott Skiles have the Bulls had a coach with prior NBA head coaching experience. There are guys out there. You had mentioned Kenny Atkinson. You've got Nate McMillan, Alvin Gentry, Billy Donovan, Mike D'Antoni. Now, a lot of them may not end up wanting to take the Bulls job, but you had brought up Kenny Atkinson earlier as a guy that you really have on your radar because he's a very good developmental coach. He brought that Brooklyn Nets organization up to respectability over the past three years. And honestly, I feel like the scenario surrounding Kyrie and Kevin Durant is really what pushed him out of there. Do you feel like the Bulls can have a more accelerated rebuild if they do bring in somebody that has prior head coaching experience as opposed to a first-time assistant or a college coach like they've done in the past?
1: Yeah, I think that's why I'm I'm really keen in well, maybe not keen in Kenny Atkinson getting the job, but why I think he should maybe be a finalist for the job because he is that known commodity or that known... We know what he can do at the NBA head coaching level. I mean, we've seen what he did with Brooklyn and and how he turned a team that virtually had no assets at all in terms of future first-round pick. What what picks they did have were late first-round picks. And he turned, you know, so-so talent into an overachieving team that made the playoff's Rebuilt that Brooklyn organization to a point where they could attract free agents like Kyrie and Kevin Durant to walk through those doors. Now, clearly, it didn't work with Kevin, Kyrie, and um, Kenny Atkinson. But in terms of just rebuilding of an organization, we've seen Kenny Atkinson lead a team in that front. And I think the Bulls are at a point at this point where, you know, you've had three years of a rebuild. It hasn't gone to plan at all. This is not how we expected it to go at all. So we really are at an interesting uh, juncture of the Bulls' rebuild because, I mean, like I mentioned before, there's going to be a decision needing to be made on Larry Markman soon. That's coming within the next year. Maybe a little bit after that, you're going to have a decision to, to come on Zach Levine. Wendell Carter will be soon after that. So the decisions on these sorts of players, what you do with them, whether you keep them around, whether you trade them out, whether you sign them to new deals, whatever the decision may be, you want to extract the most value out of out of those specific players, you know, maybe it's in the event that you keep them around and you rebuild around those specific players or you trade them out. It's hard to trade them right now when their values are probably at an all-time low, specifically someone like Larry Markkinen. But if you can bring through a coach like Kenny Atkinson, who has a track record of developing players, who can get the best out of certain players then maybe you can rebuild the value of someone like flowery market to the point where he can be a cornerstone of this franchise again like a lot of people thought he was this time a year ago or you know if you don't want to keep him around for whatever reason you can you can rebuild his re- his, his value rehab his value so to speak and then trade him out for something else whatever that th- something else may be so that's why I'm interested in Kenny Atkinson. You know, maybe if the Bulls were heading into year one of their rebuild, I'd be more inclined with someone like a Wes Unseld Jr. who can sort of grow with the team as it grows through the rebuild. But given that the Bulls have been at this rebuild for a number of years now, they need to get this coaching hire right. If for no other reason that then just to sort of maximize the talent and extract the best talent out of the players that they currently have on the roster, I think that should be priority number one.
0: I do want to expand upon the Larry Markkinen point because I think that that's an important linchpin of where this franchise goes. My final question for you on the coaching search front. A lot of people were really high on Darvin Ham coming into the playoffs because of the success that he had had with Coach Budenholzer in Milwaukee. The disappointing series that the Bucs had against the Heat I think has somewhat drawn back Darvin Ham a little bit. What are your thoughts on Darvin Ham, and do you think that that's a guy that could end up getting a second interview as well? Because everything that I've read has said that Darvin Ham is the guy that everybody predicts will get an NBA head coaching job at some point in the near future.
1: Yeah, look, if he was to get the Bulls job, it would be a good hire. He has coaching experience um, in the G League, I believe. He has obviously, uh, you know, quality assistant coaching experience. He's, he's been at it for a number of years now, following Bud along in Atlanta and now Milwaukee. So he clearly has the experience. He's been in good programs. Obviously, it didn't necessarily, the, the, their season at least, didn't end the way the Bucks would have liked. But still, he's been part of good quality teams, good quality programs, and has learnt from some of the better coaches around in the NBA. So Ham certainly should be an option for the Bulls. And if he was to be a finalist for the Bulls, uh, in their specific coaching search, then I would feel quite comfortable on it about that. Again, it's hard for me to to you know feel strongly about it. Let's say, but based on his resume alone, you look at that and you think that's pretty damn strong resume. If the balls went that way, you'd have to feel quietly comfortable about it, particularly if AK is feeling the same.
0: Transitioning now to the roster and in some ways the draft, but I want to talk about the current roster first, Mark. I worked for the Pac-12, but I grew up on the West Coast. I was born in Chicago. I grew up on the West Coast. And Pac-12 basketball has been a big part of my life for as long as I can remember, even though I actually did go to college in Chicago. So let's just say I've bounced back and forth. But anyways, I still remember the 2016-2017 season when at one point, UCLA, Arizona, and Oregon were all inside the top five. That was when... Two of the top five players in the country were Lonzo Ball and Laurie Markkinen. Laurie Markkinen, to me, when I saw him at Arizona, I thought that that guy was going to be the next Dirk Nowitzki. That is the body type I saw. That's the type of game that I saw. And I still think that the raw talent is there. And when the Bulls selected him, I was happier than a pig in slop. Because I'm like, this is a guy that can stretch the floor and is going to be able to be that... Euro-style forward that this team hasn't had since Tony Kukoc. Obviously, year number three for Laurie Markkinen was a big step back, and now you're going into year four with the front office now having to make a decision on whether or not to extend him or not. You've got Otto Porter coming off the books after this year, as well as Thad Young. Do you take the risk of giving him an extension now and hoping that that talent that the previous regime drafted will finally rise to the top? Or is this going to be a scenario where you'll have to play out this year, see where you are with him developmentally, and then make a decision based on what you think his market value is going to be after this free agency cycle?
1: I think the market situation in some ways parallels the Brandon-Ingram situation. Now, obviously, it's a little bit different. Ingram got traded from the Lakers to the Pelicans, Uh, in in the deal for Anthony Davis. Obviously, Lowry hasn't been traded to a different destination. But in the way that, you know, obviously year three didn't necessarily go the way or at least Ingram would have liked, the way he bounced back and improved in his game and became a max level player in year four and became an all-star player in year four, that's the best or the upside for Larry Markner, I suppose. He should be looking at that situation and hoping he can mimic something similar. Now, am I confident in Larry doing something similar? Probably less so, given that obviously Brandon Ingram is more of a wing. You know, the the, the positional, uh, although the need for that type of position in the NBA is just so critical at this point. Whereas I have I have my I have a lot of concerns. Let's say about Larry Markin and his place in the league going forward, particularly if he can't necessarily scale up and play that center position. If he's locked in as a one-positional player, if he can only play power forward, then I don't know. Where his ceiling is as an NBA player, particularly as we watch these playoffs at the moment, where a lot of these teams are running small ball lineups, where I think Larry Marketing can potentially be exposed, particularly on defense against those lineups. That makes me kind of nervous to the point where I'm most certainly not extending Larry right now because of that fact, but also because he clearly had a bad third year. He's meant to come, like you sort of alluded to, he was meant to come into the league and was billed as going to be you know a, a fantastic jump shooting big man and he he hasn't necessarily been that at all obviously he's he's shown flashes of being a really good shooter but to this point based on production his shooting numbers are hovering around league average whether that's the whether that's his three point percentage or whether that's just his general over overall shooting percentages and efficiency percentages he's at league average so Uh, after three years, I'm certainly not extending him at this point. I'm waiting to see what he does in year four, and I'm waiting to see if he's worthy of an extension or if he's someone that potentially is going to be a trade candidate for the Bulls. The one thing I'm actually looking at the Bulls contract
0: situation right now, you've got a lot of money coming off the books after next season. But one guy that is off the books after this season, and really the most competent player that you have at the point guard position now, I classify Kobe White as a combo guard. I'm not sure if you feel the same way, but Chris Dunn is off the books after this season. When I'm looking at the draft, I'm thinking there are a couple of guys that you could potentially get as a franchise-level point guard in that number four spot. Lamelo Ball being one of the guys that if he falls to that position, people think of him as a franchise point guard. Are you going best player available at number four or are you trying to get the best point guard that's left if LaMelo Ball is not there at number four?
1: I probably wouldn't be targeting a specific position because, I mean, if you think about what the Bulls do need, they need that on-ball creator, which is what you're sort of alluding to. They definitely need some wings in this on this team. I mean, they really only have two or three wings on the roster. And given Chandler Hutchinson and Otto Porter's uh, health concerns and the fact that both are uh, susceptible to missing a lot of time, I would be very concerned about the Bulls' wing rotation going into next season. So I don't think they should be looking at this and thinking about Chris Dunn potentially leaving the team and, you know, he being a point guard and the team being without a point guard. I think they should just be taking best player available. And I think they just need an infusion of talent, whether that's a point guard, whether that's a combo guard, whether that's a 3-4 hybrid, whatever it may be. The Bulls just need to take the best player available, work it out thereafter, and then try to plug the holes in free agency, and then just keep building year after year. I think that's the approach that they have to take. They just they just need more good good two-way players on the roster, and whether that's LaMelo Ball, whether that's Killian Hayes, whether it's for Vassell, whoever that player is at number four, just take that best option and just run with it.
0: I agree with you because you're still paying Tomas Sadaransky. I know that it's not ideal, but you, ha- you can have Kobe White be your starting point guard if need be. I think that this new regime is not going to have Zach Levine end up playing as much point as he did during the Jim Boylan era. And that transitions me to Zach Levine. His contract is up after the 21-22 season. He's a guy that I feel like is the closest thing you have to a franchise player at this point. And granted, he is still only 25 years of age, very unhappy in the Jim Boylan administration, but is this the one guy currently on this roster that you feel like, if we're going to go into the future, this guy has to be a part of it? Because that is the case for me.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I feel strongly about Zach in that way. Look, I most certainly appreciate what he can do, and I definitely think he's a very good player. But I'm not necessarily wedded to any of these guys at this point, just because we are at that point point where this we're going into year four of the rebuild whenever, whenever the NBA does come back for next season so at this point everything needs to be on the table that means trading away guys it means keeping them around you have to be thinking about a whole bunch of different type of angles and unfortunately one of those possibilities is maybe moving on from Zach Levine maybe not because he's uh, you know a bad or flawed player but the fact that he's maybe your best player and a player who represents the most value that what you can secure in a trade And I I do think Zach is somewhat miscast as that lead option or that franchise guy. I think if that is what the Bulls intend to continue making him be that, then he's almost like Jamal Murray player without his Nikola Jokic. And he needs his Jokic or he needs that number one option, that top 10 player to put next to him in order to fully maximize his value and his role in the league. I don't know if that's going to come in Chicago because clearly the Bulls don't have that type of talent to support someone like Levine. So uh, I would hope... That the Bulls can obviously figure it out and keep someone like Levine around and build around him or with him and, and get more talent around him and, and make him a better player. I think he's got a you know too big of a load on his shoulder at this point. So I would hope Zach can stay around here in Chicago and they can sort of maximize his prime because he's going to his prime now. He's going to be he's going to be 26 next season. It's going to require a new deal in a couple of years time. He most certainly will be wanting max money at that point. I would imagine if he continues on this trajectory. So. At that point, what happens? We'll wait and see. Obviously, this next season coming up is going to determine a lot of that, but I think everything needs to be on the table, and that includes maybe the future of Zach Levine, but hopefully that future is in Chicago, and if it is, then I'm assuming everything's gone right.
0: The Bulls are going to be in a good situation going into the 2021 2022 offseason because Otto Porter's $28.5 million is going to be gone. More than likely, they're not going to pick up the $14 million option on Thad Young. Cristiano Felicio is going to be off the books. Thank God. Uh, um, I, I'm looking at this cap sheet. I still can't believe they gave him that contract. It just $7.5 million this upcoming year for Cristiano Felicio. I'm just, oh, I I, I, I want to throw something against a wall, but I uh, – cooler heads are going to prevail here reputation to me is one of the biggest things that has prevented this organization from attracting marquee free agents and to me at a much younger age it was very much the the Bulls are going to try and get LeBron or Dwayne Wade and they ended up with Carlos Boozer Kyle Korver and Ronnie Brewer And Keith Bogans, I should also add in there as well. Now, granted, that first year of the bench mob, that was a very good team, but the Garpax administration was not one that was player-friendly and thus could never attract marquee free agents. You're going to have one of the best NBA free agency classes after next season. How important is it that AK and Eversley Develop themselves as a players' administration to attract somebody in that offseason when you have the cap space, such as a, oh, I don't know, Giannis Attentacumpo, who it seems like may be a little bit disgruntled based on how things finish this season in Milwaukee.
1: Yeah, well, look, that's what they've said they wanted to do. To do. They wanted to build a, a player friendly situation or franchise. So uh, I take their word at that. We'll see how it all plays out. But that's their intent, that's what they want to do. and for someone like Mark Eversley, who has been involved, obviously, with the Sixers, where they had, you know, they brought through Jimmy Butler as, as a, or they traded for Jimmy Butler, they traded for Tobias Harris, they've obviously had Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. He's had that all-star level talent, so he understands, you know, how to how to be that sort of top, or well, hopefully be that player-friendly franchise. AK saw that in Denver with Nikola Jokic, so you would hope that that is how they're approaching it and understanding that. That is the kind of the approach that you need with with this modern type of NBA player. So that would be, I guess, ideal. But the first thing they really need to do is obviously get things right on court and, and replicate what the Nets did, essentially. So they need to, you know, they, they can market themselves as a player-friendly franchise as much as they want. But if the Bulls are still only winning 25 or 30 games two years from now, then as good as AK and Mark Eversley may present, the Bulls situation will ultimately dictate, you know, what free agents they do or don't secure in 2021 and the bulls cap sheet at this point is shaping up nicely for 2021 but we also have to think about other teams that are doing something quite similar and uh, the miami heat the toronto raptors the dallas mavericks there's going to be a lot more teams out there those teams are going to be well positioned from a cap sheet point of view to to strike in free agency as well so the bulls are going to have some tough competition and they need to get their own house in order first and that needs to happen on the court first obviously eversley ak them presenting and building a player first franchise is ideal that will be that will help the uh the, the pitch to those sort of max level free agents but ultimately what's really going to get someone like Giannis over the line is the bulls on court product and the bulls will need to really they'll need to really improve in that front because like i said they're going to be competing with like a team like the mavericks for example who have Luka Doncic, Kristaps porzingis um, they potentially have max, max money available to them in twenty twenty one. If I'm looking at those two situations, then the Bulls are going to have to obviously uh, they're going to have to really improve it if, if they're going to try to bring through those max level free agents based on the competition they will be um, they'll be up going up against.
0: What is one thing, Mark, that has most encouraged your optimism as a Bulls fan based on what you've heard? come directly from the mouth of tourist Karnaschovas, because this is a guy that I feel like is very well-versed in scouting and development, and the Bulls want to take that Nuggets model. But words speak very loud in intentions. I know that we always go by the saying, actions speak louder than words, but we haven't really been able to see any actions other than Karnaschovas firing Jim Boylan, which I think any competent general manager would have done. So for you, what have you seen from AK that tells you this was the right guy to hire to run basketball operations?
1: Yeah, look, I haven't necessarily heard anything from him that makes me feel or convinced in that sense. Just because he's pretty coy and he's he's, he's really calculated with the words he does or doesn't use. And and he, he doesn't necessarily show his, you know, or does isn't at least to the media at least, doesn't necessarily go into great detail about what his plans are going to be. I mean, we, we still don't at this point know exactly how he feels about the roster, the specific players on the roster, all that sort of stuff, because he is, he is quite guarded, I suppose. But in terms of his resume, in terms of what he did in Denver, what he did in Houston, just the fact that he has those international connections and all the experience that he has. I mean, he even worked in the league office as well. is clearly a well-rounded front office executive who has years of management experience. Obviously, he's a former player too. So in that sense, he understands what it, what it's like to be a, a, a professional basketball player. So it's probably less about what AK has said and more, more so about, Um, yeah more more about what his resume is the work he's put input in the resume he has and just all the positivity that has come out from those that have worked with i with ak as to you know the type of experience the type of person he is the fact that he's very calculated measured and, and just goes through a um just goes through the you know every single little detail to make sure he's extracting the or making the best possible decision so in that sense i have calm and i have faith in him based on what has been said or what's been reported by others but from ak himself i suppose like i said he's, he's pretty guarded he's pretty coy he doesn't necessarily uh he keeps that one stoic face on and he doesn't necessarily move too far away from it uh in, in good or bad situations i suppose so i I like that demeanor from him. Uh, he, he, he seems like he's all business, and given that the Bulls are in a, a, in a, a situation where they really need to nail their next couple of years, I'm, I'm confident, or at least, yeah, I'm confident that they have the right man for the job. They're
0: going to have several guys on this roster that will be with them into the distant future. Guys like Kobe White, guys like Wendell Carter Jr., whoever they end up drafting in the first round, Chandler Hutchison, Daniel Gafford. They may not play another NBA game until February. The NBA has been very flexible in regards to how they are going to go about setting the draft day and setting the start of the next season based upon what happens with COVID. And I know that the NBA realizes that they can't have a full season with no fans in the stands like Major League Baseball or the NFL has done. So it could be quite a while given whatever happens with public, and, with public health measures and vaccines to when the NBA could get going again. Do you think that ends up being a benefit or a detriment to the 2020-21 Bulls?
1: Well, yeah, I mean it may be a detriment in the sense of if there's no fans in the stands or if there is and you know it's it's you know twenty five percent capacity or whatever the number may be, then then that lack of income may hurt the bulls from a salary cap standpoint. If the, the just the general NBA salary cap is reduced and based on how they structure their their roster and what salaries they do or don't have on their books then may that may hurt their flexibility from a free agency point of view and I know we just got done talking about the 2021 free agency landscape now obviously if that affects the bulls it will affect all teams but some may be p- better positioned to sort of navigate their way through that situation so that that aspect of it may will be interesting to see but uh, to that point as well the Bulls typically have a front of sorry a management group uh, or sorry an ownership group I should say that has yeah had traditionally been quite frugal so if, if, if for whatever reason the league isn't putting through income if the Bulls aren't getting money at the gates because of you know fans coming through and filling the United Centre up if that income and revenue from a a ownership standpoint isn't coming through, does that impact their decisions on what they're willing to do from a spending standpoint? I mean, you know, in terms of spending on head, who their head coach may be, spending on free agents, spending on their current players, you know, their ability in the future to go in the, into the tax, whatever it may be, that loss of revenue may affect a team like the Bulls more so than a team like the Clippers, for example, who who have an owner who have an ownership group that most certainly like to spend. Their owner is super rich um, and he has no issues with spending. Whereas the Bulls, yeah, sure, they've got a billion dollar ownership, but at the same time, they've been quite frugal in the past and may not be interested in in putting through, uh, or, or may, maybe they'd be more interested in saving a couple of bucks than going you know, to the nth degree and, and putting the best basketball product they can on the floor to save a few million dollars here and there. I mean, we're, 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 we've seen in the past that they've traded off players for cash or they've picks for cash. They've done these sorts of things to... Recoup a few million dollars here and there to help, to help um, to, you know get some a few million dollars back for for ownership. So maybe that continues because that is the one change or the one, uh, or the one thing that hasn't changed throughout. I mean, Boylan's gone. That's nice to see. Gar packs are gone. That's very nice to see. But what remains is ownership and. I think if you go past or go through the last 30 unit years of Bulls history throughout that 30 years, there's been questionable decisions made by ownership. I mean, The Last Dance was six months ago. Throughout that documentary series, to me at least, I know Jerry Krause was the one that was paying it as the evil figure in the background, but to me, it was uh, Jerry Reinsdorf. Now, obviously, he has less to do with the Bulls now. It's Michael Reinsdorf running the show, but still, it's a Reinsdorf. I have my concerns. So... That element and how COVID, in fact, impacts the Bulls' revenue, yes, it's going to be a situational thing across the league, but how each team reacts to it will differ, and I have my concerns about how the Bulls react to it.
0: See, I think that's a really important point also because Jerry Reinsdorf also owns the Chicago White Sox, an organization that is going to go to the playoffs, but they have spent a decent amount of money. They spent a good amount of money last season upgrading their roster. Now, I understand that they like to say that the finances are different, but I'll tell you this, I've been a lifelong Chicago White Sox fan. They spent more money this offseason than they have in any of my 28 years of life. That is going to impact what the Bulls are able to do as well. Now, in baseball, you pay 25 guys. In basketball, you pay 15 guys. So the scale of the amount of guys that you're paying is a little bit different, but the point remains, like you said, Reinsdorf said that he's going to lose you know, hundreds of millions of dollars this year because of the fact that he doesn't have fans in the stands at the White Sox games. Now, I honestly don't feel like the Bulls are under any pressure to win next season, but I think the biggest pressure point in my mind is to see progress where progress was expected this year. And I think of, when you think of this core four, the... Kobe White, Laurie Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., and Zach Levine, you need to see progress this upcoming season. So I guess that transitions me to the question, what do you deem to be a successful 2020-21 season for the Chicago Bulls?
1: Well, given, look, my thoughts going into this season that just, just passed for the Bulls was I was hopeful of the team winning, you know, 34 to 37 games and competing until you know march or april into that into that time frame and and still having a realistic chance at the playoffs up until that point probably finishing in the ninth or tenth seed but instead of the season being over in january or february like it has been the last few years even maybe a little bit earlier than that in the past maybe december uh i want to see some improvement to the point where the team is competent enough to to where they're maybe not necessarily making the playoffs next season but at least pushing towards the playoffs and they're competing into, you know, late March, early April and have a realistic ch- chance at the playoffs at that point. That isn't to say I expect them to make it. I, I think it's a, 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 a unlikely at this point. But, you know, so long as they're, you know, competing for 35 wins, something like that. And we see progression from Levine, Markinen, Kobe White, Wendell Carter, etc. And whoever they draft at number four. So long as we see development and that development starts turning into progress forward. That's all I really care about. I'm not necessarily concerned about wins or win totals or it has to be the playoffs or I'll be, I I think that was part of the mistake that the Bulls made last season where they came out at their, 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 the season opening press conference and said, we're making our goal is to be a playoff team this season. And I think that was a mistake because they, they set that baseline and, the minute that time, it became pretty evident quite clearly that, that they weren't going to achieve that, that, that specific goal and that was something that loomed large over their head. I know I held that over their head for quite quite a long time, virtually all, all of last season. So when you come out like that and you say you're going to make the playoffs for a team that has no playoff experience at all, that hasn't necessarily shown any signs of being a playoff team before, I, I just think that's undue pressure. It's an unnecessary pressure. So I don't necessarily care about that stuff. I just want to see progression. I want to see players extracting the most out of their specific talent individually, but as a collective. I want to see what the coach can bring out of these guys, and I want to see the team progress to something that looks like a playoff team.
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly there. I think that based on the way that the East is set up right now, I think that Miami, Boston, Milwaukee is still going to be good next year. I still think Indiana is going to be a good team. I don't know what to expect out of Philadelphia. I'm not necessarily sure what to expect out of Toronto moving forward. I'm not sure what their cap situation is. But look, the Chicago Bulls have a chance if they do this right to end up as one of the upper echelon teams in the Eastern Conference three years from now. So I think that, like you said, seeing the progress in development is going to be key. So I guess my final question for you, Mark, is three years from now, who do you expect to be the face of this Chicago Bulls franchise, whether it be the coach or a player? And and the pl- and the answer here can be player to be named later if you really feel it's that way. But if it's a player on the current roster, fire it off.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, if it's a player on the current roster, then I, I have my concerns. <laughs> let, let, let me say that. Um, if, if it's someone like Zach Levine, who is the face of the franchise still in two to three years' time, then I'm assuming this team is... You know, a whole, you know, Maybe a 44-win type team, a first or second round team at best, something like that, a 5-6 a, you know, seed, something similar to the Indiana Pacers, the current Pacers, something similar to that version of team. Uh, I'm hopeful that it's going to be something more, but in terms of who I would hope that franchise guy would be, the face of the franchise, then it would be that player that we don't currently have on the roster, whether it comes through free agency, whether it comes through the drafts trading even who, who, who really knows but I think they need that top 10 top 15 level player and, and if you can add that player to the, the current core that they do have then that just makes more sense for the entire roster it can push Zach Levine back to a more suitable role it can push Larry marketing back to a suitable role um, and then just that that flow and effect obviously goes throughout the rest of the roster but at this point they're probably extending themselves too far they're being asked to do a little bit too much and I think if you know, you're asking Zach Levine to be a number one option, Larry Markham to be a number two option, those sorts of things. And I I just don't know how well that grades out. So to answer your question, I'm hoping in three years time, the Bulls have their own version of Luka Doncic or something like that, a top 10 player that they can sort of add to this roster. Someone that can make Zach Levine be a better player, someone who can make Larry Markham be a better player and just build and take this franchise from a decent you know middling of the road 44 to 45 win team and maybe propel them up to 55 wins and being a legitimate eastern conference and a legitimate legitimate contender in the eastern conference that's my hope i don't know if it's going to happen maybe they can get their hands on a jason tatum or something like that i don't know but that's the kind of level of talent that they do need walking through the united center doors
0: Mark Karen Karinsoulis, the host of the Bulls HQ podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at MK Hoop. Subscribe to Bulls HQ. Mark, I know that it's only 2 o'clock in the afternoon in Australia, a day ahead of time, but thank you so much for joining us this evening.
1: Thanks for having me, mate. Uh, good to connect again. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, to be able to do that. Good to talk, Bulls. And yeah, now I can go into my weekend. It's, it's perfect.
0: Man, I still have another day before I get to the weekend. <laughs> but hey. Tough break, man. Yep, Tough break. Yep. Hey, that's what happens when you live that many time zones ahead. This has been another episode of the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. Thank you so much to Mark Karen for joining us. Have a great weekend. And as always, go Bulls! This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.